This is Chad Harrison, and you're listening to Hope Alive, applying God's word to your daily life. Hi, this is Chad Harrison, and I am the teaching pastor of Lake Community Church and have been serving as a pastor for 25 years. I'm also a practicing attorney. This podcast is designed to help you study God's word and find God's will for your life. I pray in the name of Jesus right now that God would open up his word to you and allow you to see him and to know him and to know his will, that you might glorify him and that you might walk in faith and power each and every day, especially today in Jesus' name. Good morning. Welcome to Lake Community Church's morning Bible study. We are in Genesis chapter 35, finishing up the chapter today with the story of the story of them leaving Bethel, them leaving the place where they went and met with God and got regenerate, rejuvenated and got some direction and some peace and headed off toward life again. And that really is what happens when we go and meet with God. He He focuses us. He changes us. He grows us, and then he sends us off to go in and do life as the light of the world because he is the light, and he's placed that light inside of us. During Christmas time, we love the candles, and we love to have the candlelight service, and for me, that's a little bit bittersweet. I Immensely, it is a lot of fun, but the truth is the candle is a poor representation of what the biblical picture of the light of the world is because the candle is a picture of the Old Testament idea of God's light or God's presence being upon a believer. In the Old Testament, God came upon someone or he came on top of them. But in the New Testament, the Bible teaches that God's presence is not upon us, epi, E-P-I in the Greek, but it is in us, E-N, inside of us. And the kingdom of God is inside of us. And we're more a picture of a lamp rather than a candle because God is not dwelling on top of us or dwelling. His power is not resonating from outside of us. His power is resonating from inside of us. And when we go out in the world, we're a light to the world as a lamp is a light to the world. The power of God emanates from inside of us, but it emanates through us. And in many ways, our personality, who we are, is a part of that, how God's made us. And so he has to, he has to change it so the light can get out. He's got he's to make it more visible. And the way that happens is that he changes us. He changes us um, emotionally. He changes us in our soul. He changes our heart and mind. And then as that change takes place, we are better conduits of his grace or we're better transparent conduits of his light to the world. That's the best way for me to describe it. It's weird, but if you think about it, it's a beautiful picture. God places his light inside of us. And when he first does it, well, it's hard to see that light. Have you ever been around someone and you said, I don't even know if he's saved. That's a common thing in the South. I don't know about him. That common way of looking at things is real. And the reason it is because the person has not been through the salvific process. He hadn't been cleaned up. He had, she hadn't been made in his image as far as his heart and mind. So that light is evident. So that light shines out. It just doesn't. But as the person is changed, as the person becomes, you can begin to see the light of God shining from them. That process happens because we're lamps. We're not candles. And the candle would happen. See, the light in the Old Testament might shine on top of a person that that if you put it inside them, you wouldn't be able to see the light. But God, But God didn't have 
the methodology of the new birth and a new spirit inside of them to make that possible in the power that he makes it possible today. And as we're journeying out into the world, as we're journeying from those worship services, we ought to be like Moses who went on the mountaintop. He went up on the mountain and he met with God. And when he came down, the Shekinah glory of God shone from him that they just couldn't look at him. They had to put a veil on his head and have him walk around hidden because the light was so powerful. Can you imagine that? I just think about that for a second. But when Moses came down from the mountain, the glory of God shone from him so greatly that the Israelites couldn't look at him. He was he was so bright that they could not see him. And this didn't mean that he's pasty white, okay? That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about the Shekinah glory of God shining from him so that he was so bright they couldn't look upon him. And so they put a veil on him. Sometimes I would love to see believers shine so bright that It'd be hard to look at them. And the world doesn't even understand us when we're shining our brightest. It, we bumfuzzle them. I guess that's a Southern phrase too. We bumfuzzle them or we perplex them because they don't understand because the light has come into the darkness and the darkness hath not understood it. That's what, that's what John says. He says the light came into the darkness and the darkness fled from it. The darkness hath not understood it or did not understand it. And it doesn't today. And so we go on through the world, and uh, that's what they're doing. That's what it says. Then they journeyed from Bethel, and then when there was a little distance to go from Eprath, Rachel labored in childbirth. And childbirth is a picture of, it is a picture of the labor of bringing others to life and to, and to understanding and knowledge of God. It is a picture of the church, really. It's a picture of the church bringing about, bringing forth life. And one of the one of the primary differences between a man and a woman is that women have the unique capability of bringing about life from their bodies. That is a powerful difference. It is a unique difference, and it is an important dis- difference to be honored and to be respected. And why our society would want to diminish that in the days we live in, I don't really I don't really understand. Other than the enemy hates life and hates the old picture of life coming into the world. So I guess that would just be the way, the reason it's out there. But that being said, childbirth is one of the great gifts that God has given humanity that we could bring about other life from ourselves. And specifically, it's been given to women and to bring about life. And so Rachel, Rachel labored in childbirth, and she had a hard labor. And what's going to happen is Jacob's final son or Israel's final son is going to be a born. And now it came to pass when she was in hard labor, the midwife said to her, and this is, the midwife is always a picture of the Holy Spirit. He's bringing about life. He's at work bringing about life. And notice it's always a she too. Those of you who are upset that God is always a he in the Bible, there, there are many places in scripture where the qualities that we would naturally associate with females or more prevalent among the females is attributed to God. Because remember, all these good and proper and right personality traits and life purposes come from the same person. They come from God. And so female and male come from God. In fact, in the new in Genesis 1, he said he made them male and female. He made them male and female. And the Bible's trying to make sure he tells us that so that we understand it. If he made us male and female, that means that all that it is to be a female came from God. 
and all that it is to be a male came from God. And although there's a lot of overlap, it's not like we're two totally different creatures. Although there's a lot of overlap in that, there is difference in that. And some of that difference is very stark between some males and females, and some of that difference is not super stark between males and females because we're all different in our differences. And in childbirth, the in this picture, the midwife is the one who's bringing about life, and it's a she, and that quality of bringing about life and what we would naturally attribute to the female is found in the Holy Spirit. Jesus, when he coming into Jerusalem that first day and he wept over Jerusalem and he said, I would that a mother, that I would gather you together as a mother chick gathers her, as a mother hen gathers, gathers her chicks together. That's a picture of Jesus attributing to himself a quality or trait of motherhood. Does that mean that Jesus was not a man? No, it doesn't mean that. It means that God made male and female and that the traits that we naturally associate with females or a trait that we naturally associate with a male all came from God. And that means that those traits exist in the nature of who God is and they're passed to us because we're made in his image. And so you can't separate the two out and say that one's good or one's bad because they're not. And you can't say even though God is presents himself as male and that female came from male, that does not mean that female is less than male. It just means that female is different than male. And personally, for me, I'm very happy with that. I don't want everybody to be men. In fact, I like women more than I like men, generally speaking. And so that's just the way I am. And I'm glad God made me that way because I live in a house or I grew last, I spent most of my adulthood in a house with all women. My wife was a woman, both my daughters are women, and even my two dogs are female dogs. I was down five to one at one point in time, and I enjoyed it to, to, to no end living with them, and uh, still enjoy it, and it is a fun thing for me to be around those women. I wouldn't want to be around any more, anybody else in the world more than them. That, that being said, I'm a man. And I act like a man, and I do things that men do, and women do things that women do. And the Holy Spirit does it all, and uh, he works in all, and he works through all things. And so I don't know why I locked in on that, but maybe somebody out there needed to hear that. There is wonderful qualities and natures about womanhood and manhood, and there's and some of them are stark differences, and some of them are just minor, even transitional differences but they are different and they were made to be different and we were all made to be different so that God could glorify himself in each one of us. It says, now it came to pass when she was in hard labor, the mid midwife said to her, do not fear, you will have a son also. What, she, what she's saying is, is that this work is going to bring about a son. And for them at that time, it was important because remember we talked about this many chapters ago. We talked about the wars between the women, the family wars, the baby wars that were going on. And Rachel is going to come on and she's going to bring about one more son. She's, she had one of her own. Now she's going to have a second <clears throat> and she's going to pull even in the count. And as you read this, that's the, we're ending the baby wars that have taken place. And so it was as her soul was departing and notice it says, for she died. 
that she called his name Benoni, and that is child of my suffering, suffering. And his father called him Benjamin, which is a uh, child of my right hand or son of my right hand. And so he's going to be named Benjamin. You're going to be well known as Benjamin, not Benoni, although Benoni is a neat way uh, of what she said because she suffered to have him. And childbirth is a suffering. And bringing about life from death and from emptiness is a struggle and is suffering. As a woman it is in childbirth, so God is in bringing about his will and his way in our lives. In fact, childbirth is a picture of that life coming and being placed in, in the body of death and coming from that death. And it's a beautiful picture if you really think about it. And God is in the process of bringing forth life from inside of our bodies of death. And that life and that light shines out from it. And, and it causes the body to die. Nowadays, because we have such good prenatal care, because we have such good vitamins and health uh, for women, and we help them throughout the process of childbirth. And I'm even going to be, I'm an expectant grandfather for the first time, even as I speak to you right now. And there's all kinds of scans, and there's all kinds of diets, and there's all kinds of medicine to take and things to do and it's all exciting stuff but what that means is that we have the ability to bring forth a child and not damage the mother as much in that process as it used to be i say this to people and people don't even know it but in childbirth it used to be a woman would lose a tooth for every child and if you think about it the baby takes so many nutrients from the mother in order to live. And, th and the only place for that baby to take those nutrients from, if the mother's not providing them from an outside source, is from her body. And in hist history past, up until the present days we live in, that might not be something the woman could readily replace in her diet. And so whatever the child needed was taken from her body and it would kill her. And maybe the that child wouldn't kill her, but over time, she'd lose a tooth. And over time, her body would be depleted and, and destroyed through childbirth because that bringing about life from that body of death uh, is a neat picture of what God's actively doing in us when, he is, when he's bringing about life for our soul and life through our spirit, life for our soul and life through our spirit in these bodies of death that we live in. And these bodies are slowly dying, but the spirit's not dying and the soul is being brought into fullness of life in the midst of it. And childbirth is a picture of that. And so I guess that's why I would say, say the world hates it because childbirth is a picture of it. And uh, recently it's been very strange that we come across this, but I've dealt with a couple of mothers in my law practice who have had children or even in the church who have had children who've passed away in child, either in childbirth or right after childbirth, maybe from a, from an accident or even just because the child was not strong enough to live when it was born. I've dealt with that very intricately in the last few months with, with a few women. I've also dealt with a few young people whose mothers died very near their childbirth or one of their siblings' childbirth, and so they have grown up without a mother. And of course, my mother, her mother died giving birth to my mother's brother, younger brother when she was two and a half years old. And not only did the, my mother's mother die, but my uncle 
who she was giving birth to died also. And death is one of those things that sometimes is the result of this life coming into the world. And it is a picture of that. And you can't miss that when you're reading scripture. It comes out pretty heavily when you're understanding the picture of childbirth, the picture of the Holy Spirit being the midwife or bringing about this birth and the pain and suffering that comes from it for the woman. And it goes all the way back to the curse in the garden that God placed on woman. And it is, <clears throat> it is a beautiful and yet sometimes very sorrowful experience childbirth is. And that's why when you get to the end, there's such relief and joy. And one of the great gifts that God has given women, and let me tell you something, this is a universal gift and a truth that is just amazing. A woman can go through all the struggle of childbirth. And let me tell you something, that's not just when they go to the hospital. My wife, she struggled to have both of our children. My youngest child's head was on her pelvis for the last two or three months and then even cracked it a little bit in the process. And so there was a lot of pain and there was a whole lot of struggling and suffering that goes on to bring about that life. And it was very neat. One of the most amazing experiences of my life is seeing both my daughters being born. That whole process of life coming from her body is just a miracle of life. And it's a miracle of, of God and uh, it is immensely and intensely painful. I've got great stories about that, about my daughters being born, the stories of life that come from that. And then at the end, after she's been through all that pain and suffering and all that struggle and heartache, you hand her that baby and that baby lays in bed with her right next to her. And God somehow makes them totally forget everything they just went through. It is amazing. They just totally forget everything they went through because the joy of the child overwhelms the pain of the process. And it is the same way with God. The pain of the process is great and it is great inside of us, but the joy of what God brings about through the process of life that he is bringing about in us is far greater than the pain of the life process that we have to go through. It is far greater, and it is far more important, and it's far more beautiful. He said, so Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath. It says, that is Bethlehem. So remember, in, when you're from now on, if, it's, if Ephrath is mentioned, that's Bethlehem. So she died and was buried on the way to Bethlehem. Notice that we would later have a woman who was ripe with child coming to Bethlehem and she's going to bring about life and she is going to live. And Rachel died and was buried there. And Jacob set a pillar on her grave. Notice there's a standing stone to remember her. Great remembrance. And funerals are a time to remember and they're a standing stone, but they ought to always be a celebration. It's hard to get people to understand this. And I know I'm a little quirky in that if I deal with somebody who is a believer and they die, I am just not sorrowful. I just ain't. I just, too, there's just too much. There is just too much good that has just happened when they've entered glory. And my limited understanding of what it is to be in the presence of God compared to what it is to be on this earth. And it's very limited because I have no idea how wonderful it actually is. But it is so wonderful as to be overwhelming the grief that might come from a loss 
of a loved one because you really didn't lose them. I told somebody, even a young woman just recently, who was talking about her child that had died in the last year, died four days after she gave birth to that child. She actually had twins, and one of them lived and one of them didn't. And I told her about she's constantly going to the grave, and I told her that baby's not, and you're just outwardly expressing the grief that's in your heart. But let me tell you something, that baby is perfectly mature. It's not a baby in heaven. It's a perfectly mature young lady who is standing before God in perfection. And when you get there, you're going to know them. The Bible says we're known. We know even as we're fully known, which means we're going to know each other completely. And any child that you've lost or any person that you've lost in death in this world, when you get to heaven, there is going to be the absolute fullness of life that happens there. And you're going to know them completely and intimately, and it's going to be as wonderful as you could possibly imagine. And here's the cool thing. There are going to be children in heaven that you didn't even know you had. There are going to be children in heaven that were conceived in, in, in the womb, and never even, maybe even attached to the wall of the uterus. And some of them may have attached in just for a few days and then died. They're going to be children in heaven that you do not even know. But you're going to know them completely. And you're going to know them completely the day you get there. So some of your families are going to be way bigger than you think they are. And what a beautiful understanding that is. And death is just a phase of life that ultimately brings about God's eternal life in its fullness in us. And we ought to remember those things, and he set up a pillar there to remember her. But the truth is, is that death is just the natural end to the physical life, and it is the beginning of spiritual life and life eternal. And we ought to see it that way. And if we don't see it that way, we ought to help each other and encourage us, each other to see it that way. Because when we see it that way, we see life and not death. We see life and not darkness. We see hope, and it's a living hope. As you go today, I pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you, that he'll make his face to shine upon you, and that he will give you hope and peace today in Jesus' name.